listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. And we're glad to have you listening to America's Web Radio today. We've got a very special guest on. Uh, he came, came through a Model T club. And uh, as we found out more and more about this gentleman, Mr. George King, he's up in Norwich, Connecticut. And uh, we found that he is doing something very interesting. In fact, uh, I think in, in many ways I, I'm very jealous of George and what he's about to, the adventure that he's about to go on. But we're glad to have George on the line. we got Steve Ronaldo and Mr. Jim Weber in here at, in the station. And uh, I know uh, George and Steve will have a lot to talk about. Steve's a model tier. Uh, How come I'm not Mr.? How come he's Mr.? I'm, it's, it's not... Oh, well, Mr. Steve. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Steve. Mr. Jim. Yeah, okay, but anyway, we're glad to have uh, George on. George, how are you doing this morning? Just super. Good. Why don't, uh, in, instead of me reading your bio, why don't you just give us a little bit of, of uh, the, who Mr. King is? And uh, I, I assume you're not kin to Martin Luther. No, I am not. Uh, okay. I'm more more related to the kings from England than the kings from Georgia. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, we're in good shape then. So, anyway, if you'll, uh, you were, uh, you're a 20-year veteran in the Navy, is that correct? Nope. I was or, a 22-year, I served 22 years in the United States Coast Guard. Oh, Coast Guard. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. All right. Anyway, that's why I'm going to let you do the, do the bio, and I'll keep my mouth shut, and then we'll get into uh, Model T's. Okay. Well, I began life as a child. Uh, up in Good start. Newton, Steve Massachusetts, and I uh, was brought up in, in Walpole, Mass., and it was there that I got my first Model T in 1963 when I was a sophomore in high school. So do the math. Um, I got that running. I didn't have the money to restore it properly and uh, played with it for years. Got my uh, next Model T when I was on my honeymoon. I have photographs of my wife disassembling a, a Model T. 27 Model T Roadster pickup on her wedding trip. So I knew I had the right gal, and she's still with me now after 44 years. And, uh, you know, just one thing led to another, and um, I eventually got into a position where I couldn't find people that did engine work properly, so I decided to start doing it myself. And uh, I started this business uh, 13 years ago, restoring Model T's, and I'd had a lot of experience pouring Babbitt because I'm a steam engineer, and that kind of goes with the with the territory. So we've, uh, you know, we have uh, had a lot of cars go through here. Um, if you go to my website, it says uh, in one point that uh, George's goal is to own three Model Ts, and he's doing really well. He's down to six now. <laughs> that's almost like mr ronaldo and his uh his car collection except he has a variety from the model t model a cadillac uh, bunch of yeah up to the good they're, they're all fun yeah so uh, a little bit about your career in in the uh coast guard and and some of the steam engines uh, that, okay. that you've rebuilt all right my uh my career in the coast guard started in 1968 and uh, I was in the mainly in the ceremonial business. I was in the band in Cape May, New Jersey, and uh, eventually ended up as the director of that band. <clears throat> I transferred to uh, Alameda, California, where I ran the uh, recruit training center band out there, and then from there to the Coast Guard Academy, <clears throat> where I was 
<coughs> excuse me, director of cadet bands. I had several different bands in the program there. In fact, I uh, uh, put a band on Eagle, the Coast Guard training ship, and uh, I would, would sail around in the summer on that, and I made four wonderful trips on Eagle. Uh, I've been from Leningrad to Tasmania and uh, played for kings and presidents and all kinds of interesting people. Hmm. And, and the instrument of choice? I played uh, brass percussion and keyboard, mainly brass uh, in the Coast Guard, but uh, being a director, I got to carry the little white stick. <laughs> and tap it on your music stand. That's right. And, uh, and and pointed at the guy that kept on talking. Ex- yeah, well, actually, I had a brick for him. Oh, <laughs> that's what we use on uh, Steve to get his attention. Oh, good, good. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, tell us quickly the the two uh, steamers that you uh, rebuilt the engine on. The oh, this uh, yeah, I've been playing with steam since I got a little steam toy when I was eight years old. Uh, my dad was a railroad and streetcar historian, so we were. You know, I was exposed to uh, steam from a railroading perspective uh, from an early age, but I decided to put my efforts into maritime steam and stationary steam engines. Uh, I got a job. I started out at Mystic Seaport Museum in Mystic, Connecticut, as a volunteer working on the steamboat Sabino, and I ended up there as a as a being my full time job. Uh, and I retired from there as the chief engineer. I also wrote the book about uh, the history of the Sabino, which is sold at the seaport. And that was uh, 22 years also that I worked on that. I uh, actually overlapped with my Coast Guard career because I would leave work at the Coast Guard Academy and then go in and run the night trip on the boats. Then uh, another notable steamboat was uh, African Queen. Uh, In fact, African Queen wintered over in my backyard here in Connecticut one year, and I am sure that it's absolutely the coldest that boat has ever been in its life. But uh, we restored that engine for the folks that own it down in Key Largo now, and um, I believe it's still on display down down there. Yeah, in a hotel, yeah. Yep. And what was fun was, uh, you know, of course, had to test drive it to make sure my restoration work was good, so I got to run the African Queen as well. Well, with that, I'm I'm sort of going to turn my share over wow. to Jim and Steve, and uh, uh, they're the they're the guys that know the cars. And uh, like I said, Steve uh, has a Model T, so you all can. Uh, I believe I believe we one of our shows we discussed uh, the brakes on the Model T. Didn't we? <laughs> the, lack of, the lack of brakes. The yeah, lack of brakes. brakes. Yeah, I do. I have a ten mother-in-law car. Uh, I just uh, got the upholstery redone by an Amish-trained guy up in Pennsylvania. Yep. We, Great, that's super. Yeah, we've had it for and and done a lot. And I'm I'm just started took the axle front axle off and getting ready to to rebuild the front end on this thing. Yep. And, yep. and uh, that's yeah, it's so easy to work on. It's such a oh, they are and simple is good. Yeah. Yeah, we've driven ours all all over the place uh, with this. But, Labs, you're a Model T guy. I can ask you a question. Oh, sure. Uh, I was talking to Don Lang the other day, and Don Lang owns one of the biggest Model T parts suppliers, and he wasn't sure. Before the assembly line, do you think that... Uh, um, I've heard both answers, including John Meyer from Horseless Carriage Club, the editor. And yep. I, and. Would the front and rear axle and torque tube be the same color as the the car? 
the early ones, or would it be black and then they would just put the body on top of it? I'm just kind of curious because mine is that white-gray color that Henry had. Yep. And white-gray and grease don't do well together. What um, what year is your car? Ten. Yeah. So Ten or eleven. It's somewhere. It's sort of a mixture. You know how over a oh, sure. hundred years they end up sort of this and that and that and this. Yeah, especially after August of each year, they'd start changing to you know produce the next model year. So you get into some muddy waters there. But I have a I have a uh, I got I have the ten engine, the open valve engine, sitting on a nice. stand. I put them. I put the non-demountable wheels and have demountable because we tour all over the place. Great. Uh, with horses, carriage, and a couple of the Model T clubs and and stuff. So this one is set up for touring. By, by the way, Steve, uh, George was up at Hershey when you were. Oh, this were year. you? Yeah. Well, we can talk about Hershey too. But but anyway, so I, I've had both. What do you think? Should it be should it be body color or should it be black or doesn't it really matter? I think you could make an argument for either. In fact, you'll you'll find arguments as to whether the fenders were black when the bodies were were red or green or blue or gray. You know, and uh, when I restored my twelve, I did it with black fenders uh, with the blue body, and uh, I did the whole undercarriage black. Now I know that the uh, the front axles were brush painted. That was the technique used on them. So whenever I I drive uh, a car and somebody decides they want to be the expert and give me uh, crap about the way I did mine, I ask them uh, if they've painted their front axle with a brush, and of course they'll say, oh no, we had it professionally done. I says, well then it's wrong. Yeah, and that was probably black then, because it was brush paint, I'm sure it was black. I would go with black if it, if it were my car. I like the, I'd like the contrast in the, uh, in the two colors. Yeah, I do too, simply because white, that white-gray in grease yep. and oil are just a mess. Well, anyway, like I said, it's kind of interesting. Uh, tell me a little bit about this ambulance that you're going to be taking to Europe. Oh, this is a this was a project that was had kind of an interesting beginning. I was at the Collings uh, Foundation in Stowe, Massachusetts. Uh, this is a foundation that has a collection of uh, flying World War II airplanes, and uh, they, in fact, they keep them down there in Georgia, I believe, and uh, they fly all around the country with them. They also have a collection of antique cars. They have some very interesting cars from just after World War II that were made by the uh, uh, airplane manufacturing companies like Messerschmitt. Uh, the Allies, we, did, we would not allow Germany to build airplanes after the war, so they converted to making these little cars. And uh, it's a very interesting collection. They have some World War I replica aircraft as well. And in the collection from that period, they had an ambulance. It was tucked up on the second floor, unrestored, kind of buried in boxes. So I was up there looking at it, and I decided that, uh, you know, since I own a restoration business, it would be nice to properly restore the car because it had parts on it ranging from 1912 to 1923. So uh, I was going to write a proposal to the museum about restoring the car. And on the side of the car, it said, A Gift of Lake Forest College to the American Field Service, 1917. So being a historian, I had to do my research and uh, find out what that was all about. And I uncovered the story of the American Field Service and other volunteer ambulance units that uh, came to the aid of France in uh, World War One before the U.S. entered the war. 
found out that the car in Stowe was not a real ambulance, but rather it was a movie prop for a 1985 movie entitled The Razor's Edge. And it was, uh, so it's better to leave it as it is because that tells the story of, uh, of that vehicle most accurately. But I uncovered this story of 1,200 Model Ts being donated by Americans and uh, shipped to France to have bodies put on them at a carriage works there and then driven by American volunteers for three years at the front. These guys were mainly college students or recent graduates. Seventy-seven percent of them were college guys and mainly from Ivy League school. Harvard had 326 drivers. Yale had just about 200. And Princeton, Dartmouth were all well represented. It, uh, it's amazing. And uh, these guys paid their own way over to France, paid for their own uniforms, and then started evacuating wounded from the front lines. They succeeded in evacuating 500,000 wounded in three years. And I did some math, and I made an assumption that Let's say that half of those 500,000 went on to have two kids after the war. Project that down through the generations, and it represents today 4 million residents of France who otherwise would not exist. And that's equivalent to the population of France's four largest cities. George, question. When they were driving, was there... During World War One, was there res- the respect on the German side for the Red Cross? Would they cease fire temporarily while uh, the ambulance no. was picking up somebody, or were no. there a lot of ambulance drivers and ambulances uh, blown up? Quite, yeah, quite the opposite. Uh, they viewed the Red Cross as a target. In fact, there was a uh, the in fourteen. They originally had this plan where you know the the, the Ambulance, the uh, ambulances could go right out to the front line, right, go you know right across the trenches and pick up wounded on the field. And there was an occasion where uh, three German ambulances showed there in, in no man's land, and everybody stopped shooting. And they whipped open the doors of the ambulance, and they had machine guns in there. Hmm. So that ended all that uh, chivalry under fire routine. Interesting. Were any of, were any of these ambulances on? On TT chassis or just the regular? No, the uh, the TT wasn't invented until 17. Oh, really? So they were all on the 100-inch uh, chassis, the automobile chassis. But the ambulances had a very long overhang. Uh, the bodies were 7 feet long. So there's a big overhang behind the uh, the rear axle, which, which uh, made for some interesting things. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. That's why I asked about the TT. I didn't know they were made, didn't work until 17, because I was just picturing an ambulance on my little chassis. And, whoa. <laughs> uh, they, yeah. There had to be some uh, front wheels off the ground at the time. Well, yeah, that's an interesting story, too. When they built the first ambulances in 1914, they rigged them, uh, as they did for the entire war, so that they could carry three wounded on stretchers. They had two on the floor, and then they had a track that folded down from each side so they could put a third stretcher on top. Or they could fold up all the stretchers and, and lower two bench seats, which carried four uh, ambulatory wounded up in the front of the car. Well, as soon as the car would get underway, these guys would go to the back and open up the flap to get some fresh air, and with four soldiers in the back <laughs> of the car, the front wheels would lift off. So starting in 1915, the first improvement on the car was to put windows 
up in the front to keep the guys in the seats. I bet they put weights, too. With that, I tell you what, we're, George, we're going to take a break. I, I let it run a little over, but we'll take a break, and we'll come back with you right after this. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show with our guest, George, Mr. George King, I might add. And, and then we got Steve and Jim here. Um, we're talking about the... The uh, Model T ambulance uh, ambulances that were used in uh, World War One, and we're finding it fascinating. You, sh- you should hear the comment. Where did you? You know, this guy's great. Where did you get him from? When, when we're off the air, George. So you, you've made a hit with our uh, our normal, our regular hosts. So. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the drivers of these cars were seventy seven percent of them were college students, so they were used to riding home regularly. They also each kept a daily journal, and they could each afford a Brownie Kodak camera. Wow. So the documentation of these volunteer ambulance sections is uh, really amazing. Uh, there's 23 published uh, volumes of diaries that uh, tell the stories of these guys driving over there in France. And I also own uh, some diaries myself and have access to other private uh, privately owned diaries in, in uh, library collections, etc. And I have uh, read those, and it, it's, it's just fascinating to get the, the firsthand information as it's happening, uh, you know, from these, these guys that were driving. So the documentation of the uh, ambulance service is far more than you would expect. In fact, there's far more detail than you can find about uh, the, the military organizations when the you know, United States entered the war. For instance, I have a list of names of, of every driver that uh, <coughs> was involved in this program for the American Field Service. Well, did, did they literally put weights on the front end? No, they did not. Uh, they just changed it so that the, the guys would stay seated forward of the rear axle, and that kept the wheels down. They did do some modifications that were interesting. Um, Ford... Fords have been imported to France since 1907, which is a year before the Model T came out. So they were no stranger to Fords, but they found that they preferred to build their own bodies in France to avoid high uh, tariffs importing complete cars. So they would import the Ford chassis, and there were five companies in France that built bodies. Now, one of the things the French decided to do that was different was they made their touring cars longer. If you sit in an American-built Ford touring car, your butt is over the rear axle. If you ride in a French touring car, your feet are over the rear axle. It's that much longer. They would actually put an extension on the frame. 
So because of the cantilever action of sitting that far out, the spring perches of the rear spring would hammer the, the uh, axle housings. So the French developed a higher spring perch to keep the springs higher off the axle by a good two, two and a half inches. And that alleviated that problem. So when the ambulances came along, they just used the same spring perches to take care of the overhang that was on there. They also added a ninth rear spring to the uh, well, leaf to the rear to the rear spring on the cars. Now, driving one of these cars is very interesting because of instead of bouncing up and down vertically as you go down the road, it pitches fore and aft like a uh, like it's like driving a diving board. That they write that the uh, that was much easier on the wounded in the cars uh, having that that uh, oscillating action, so it uh, it worked out to their advantage. The the engines were stock. Yes. Yep. Good old twenty horsepower. Yeah, and that transmission, no changes, no no anything. No changes there. Huh. that's amazing. Well, the Model T is you know when when I got into the brass era touring stuff. I was told that the, there's only three cars you want to consider for reliability, and that would be a uh, uh, a Buick, Rio, or Model T. Oh, I agree. The uh, even you know the one and two cylinder cars, uh, Rio is a very good one. Rambler was also a good yeah. one. I have a Maxwell. I have a, oh, I love the Maxwell. Yeah, that's Model A, a Model A, a little two cylinder yep. car. But uh, yep. anyway, it's a New York. Yeah, uh, so that's a that's a great story. I I didn't know uh, uh, that part at all. Are you a member of the uh, uh, the historical society that always meets at Hershey? Pardon me. The the automotive historical society. Do you go to their stuff and listen to those guys or participate in their their things at Hershey? For for doing the research. Yeah. I, no, I did. I didn't use that at all. The um, the archives of the uh, American Field Service are in New York, so that's even closer for me to, to go down there. And uh, what I would do is I would read in the diaries of, you know, different things. Well, like the Spring Perch, for example. I'm reading this, this letter home that a, a kid wrote, and he says, I haven't gotten anywhere closer to the front. All, all they've had me doing is changing rear spring perches on rear axles. So, I you know, I'd take notes, and then I'd go to New York, and I'd look up in the official correspondence about these spring perches, and that, that's where I'd get my documentation. Yeah, yeah. So you're taking, if, if you had driven this thing on any U.S. tours or exhibitions or any of that kind of stuff? Well, uh, we researched it. We re- I researched these ambulances for uh, <clears throat> three years, culminating in a trip to France to see the only existing original. And then after two and a half years of construction, we were, we were pretty close to done. And we, uh, the original ambulance 255 uh, went into service on the 5th of May in 1916. So we had our dedication on the 5th of May in 2012, and we were immediately busy. In fact, we did 26 appearances for the remainder of that year. Uh, we participated in the National Memorial Day Parade in Washington, D.C., and also uh, Arlington National Cemetery. We wanted to um, pay our respects at the grave site of the last World War I veteran in the United States. His name was Frank W. Buckles. He died at the age of 110 in, on February 27, 2011. He was a corporal in the Army, and his job was ambulance driver. Really? Huh. That's so a we good, got uh, yeah, some cool. wonderful pictures. In fact, 
Arlington put a picture of our ambulance in there as the photo of the week for Memorial Day that year. <coughs> we also, um, the following year in January, we drove uh, Ambulance 255 in the presidential inaugural parade. There were 2,807 applicants to be in the parade, and only 63 were selected. Would you would you like to have the story of your ambulance and, and photos in the the Horses Carriage Gazette or the Antique Automobile Club, uh, the Antique Automobile Magazine? I am uh, actually providing information to the Antique Automobile Club right now. I Good. met uh, one of the uh, editors there, and uh, I got permission from Model T Ford Club of America to uh, just send him the whole two articles that uh, they published, one telling the story of the ambulances, one telling the story of the ambulance I built. Well, that's great. I, I'm, I, that's what I was wondering, you know, because I'd like, with the AACA getting out to 60,000 members, I think it'd be a, a real good good place to, to uh, uh, let people know about what you've done in this hobby with stuff. George, besides uh, the basically the stretchers, or the, wasn't even really stretchers at that, uh, at that time, Was there any other equipment at all provided in the ambulance? Uh, Did they even have bandages, or or was there any kind of a medic that rode with the the wounded? Nope, there was nobody in the back, and they didn't even have a first aid kit. The uh, routine was to drive the ambulance up to the aid station, which they call the Poste de Secours, and there uh, is where the wounded would have been triaged by a French doctor. And they were put into three categories, and the middle category were the ones that got the ambulance ride. So the uh, stretcher bearers and the drivers would load three wounded in the back of the car and, and take off for the, uh, for the hospitals. When these ambulances started driving out to the front, morale in the trenches skyrocketed, because prior to that it was taking over a week for a wounded soldier to get to a hospital. So the guys figured that if they were um, if they were wounded, they were dead. So they, uh, hold on, let me turn this phone off. Okay, there we go. Uh, so the ambulances could get them to the hospital in as little as 20 minutes. Uh, the ambulances were treated like royalty. Uh, they would just, uh, they would pull into these villages where the kids would come out and throw flowers on the cars. You know, being a, with a 20 volunteer driving them, they thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that, I think it's, I think it's a fascinating story. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the pictures and the articles. See, here in Atlanta, we don't have a chapter of either of the Model T clubs. There's, 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 there's not one here. Really? No, there is not one here. You and and George, George, name the club you're in. It's Four Seasons. Is- yeah, we have a we have a chapter of the. Uh, there's two national Model T organizations: the Model T Ford Club of America, the Model T Ford Club International. Uh, our local chapter of the Model T Ford Club of America is entitled the uh, Four Seasons Model T Association. We call ourselves the Four Seasons because uh, despite living in New England, we would always make it a goal to drive our cars at least once a month. So we would look for that 50-degree day in January, and off we'd go. <laughs> I think that person wants to get a hold of you. I think so, too. It's one of my board members from Texas. Oh, well, <laughs> if it's from Texas, that's okay. 
Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm yeah. from Texas, so, you know. Oh, okay. Well, well, France is the size of Texas, so I'll be getting to drive uh, about that same area this summer. How long are you going to be over there? Well, we ship the ambulance next week, and uh, it's coming back for Thanksgiving. I'm going over on June 8th. I'm going to spend a week in England. Uh, there's a fellow there that has built a British World War I ambulance. We're going to do a photo shoot with him. And uh, then we're off to Paris, and we're going to drive in some events there. And, and uh, my first stint over there will be for um, seven weeks. Then I come home for a little while, and then I go back uh, for three weeks, and then I come home again and go back again for four weeks. Who's restoring the engines while you're gone? <laughs> uh, the, the best in the country. Okay. <laughs> Me. You. Connecticut, Connecticut Antique Engine Restoration, LLC. Well, who's going to be doing that while you're in France? Oh, while I'm gone? Yeah. Uh, my noble assistant, Jeff Saval. Jeff has been uh, with me since 2007, and uh, he's just really the best. Did you ever ever run across a guy in Orlando, one of my good buddies, Bill Word, that had antique engine rebuilders? Uh, he's got he's he's sick now from all of the the lead and all of that stuff. He was he was pretty pretty famous in doing mostly T's and A's. Uh, no stuff. No, you never ran across Bill and all your stuff. I uh, haven't run into anybody from Florida. I heard there's a there's a fellow in Georgia doing uh, model. Yeah, there's a, in Atlanta. We have about three guys that are are, yeah. are bab three four guys that are Babbitt guys. And I, I tell you, I'm going to have to interrupt. We're gonna we're up against a hard break. We'll be back right after this with George King talking Model Ts. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show with our guest, George King. We've got Jim and Steve in the studio today asking the important questions. Yeah. Hey, George, do you ever ever hang around much with Jerry Chase up there? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've, I've done a lot of Babbitt work for Jerry Chase, and he just uh, helped me out with the gear for a... Uh, for a timing gear for a 1910 Oakland that I'm restoring for well, a customer. Do you, if if you see Jerry, I did a I did a seminar for horses carriage about you know your car's bo- precious bodily fluids. 
good. And, and he asked me a he asked me a question one time. You know, he has that big the red pope and and we were talking about coolant and water wetter and all of the new stuff. And I and, and he says, well, what do you think would be the best coolant that I should use in the pope? And I thought about a second and told him, holy water. So you can you, you can you can tell you can tell Jerry the next time you talk to the guy that told him to buy holy water for the Pope. I, I shall do that. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's he's a, a a real real good guy. Well, we need to get this ambulance over to Hershey sometime. I had it there last year. I took a, a first place national uh, junior. Yeah, see, I'm on the national awards team, and I and we just didn't have. I just didn't have a lot of time. We had to get in and start doing our stuff to look oh, yeah. around much over there uh, uh, this past year. Uh, steamboat stuff. You know those guys up in in Melvin Village, up in New Hampshire. All those sure steam do. guys. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there's some Dave characters. And his sons. Yeah, yeah. I used to have a house up there in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. Oh, did so you? We know the lake pretty well. Yeah, there, and, and we were up there on one tour. I. I can't remember what it was, and I'll bet you were even there. They had the Steamboat Convention on Winnipesaukee one year. Yeah, steam launches. Yeah, by the, by the what are those birds, those big funny birds? What did, the loons, by the Loon Center. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out if they were talking about people from New Hampshire, the birds. I wasn't sure. Ah, when, well, there's a restaurant up near there that you'd really get a kick out of. Uh, you go in, you look at the breakfast menu, and it says, we do not serve grits. We know what they are, but you can't get them here, so don't even ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy touring New England. We go up for the New England Brass and Gas every, oh, yes. quite often. With the t- uh, do you know Carl Pate? Yes, I sure do. Good. Carl is a, in fact, I was with Carl yesterday. He's a big supporter of the Ambulance Project Uh in fact, I'm borrowing a video camera from him that we're going to hard mount on the side of the ambulance for when we drive down the Champs Elysees this summer. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, uh, very very impressive. Have you ever done any steam cars for yourself? Uh, yes, I have. I've I've worked on some Stanleys, uh, which are a delight because my grandfather, my great grandfather, and Two of my great uncles worked for the Stanley Company. In fact, I was born in Newton, Massachusetts, which is where they were built. Yeah, I, I never could read the plumber's manual to make it work. Turn this knob, turn oh, this knob, this yeah. faucet, this handle. Yeah. yeah, they are they are complex and complicated. They really are. And we have a, I have one of my best buddies. I was just over there yesterday. He's a he's sort of the local Model T expert. Uh, and he has a 17 Stanley, big right. seven-passenger touring car. Yep. That yep, is a monster. It's a monster. You might even know him, Alan Wolf. I don't know if you know the Wolfs. He's done two national steam tours here uh-huh. uh, with that stuff. And, and uh, here he and, his, he and his family are big into steamers and Model Ts. So you guys would have a lot in common. Oh, we'd have a lot of fun, that's for sure. We have a... Uh an event here at our house uh, every year in October. We call it the Concourse de Barnyard. <laughs> you know, because we figure, you know, anybody can go to the Concourse d'Elegance. To, to go to the uh, Concourse de Barnyard, that's quite the event. And, um, in fact, the TV show Cruise in New England did a half-hour show about it this year, uh, covering last year's show. Uh, we fed... 400 people last year, so it's it kind of a popular event. We had some nice steamers here, and uh, I also have a boiler and engine set up out in my uh, behind my machine shop, 
and uh, we set up a steam table for all the guys to bring in their models and toys and stuff. So it's uh, it's always a, a fun time. Yeah, kind of a, a quick story you might get a kick out of. We were on the Brass and Burks County tour last year with yep. with Chip Green, <clears throat> or the two years ago, anyway. And I have my my car up there, and I pull into the first coffee st- stop, and I was asking where you want me to park in. And uh, blew a head gasket right there. Oh, boy. Well, the coffee stop was sponsored by Reinholz Restorations. <laughs> so Yeah, three miles away, they came and got, we did the head gasket and put it back on, and he said, your clutch is out of adjustment. Let's take the top off, and I'll do it. Well, he got in a hurry, and he dropped a cotter pin down in there. <laughs> and we couldn't get it out with a magnet. And he said, what I want you to do, he said, even if it goes through, it won't hurt anything. It'll grind it up, he said, but... He, shouldn't bother a thing and he said tomorrow or when you get back this afternoon after it cools off change oil and i and i pulled the the uh uh, the drain plug out and out came that cotter pin in perfect he said boy somebody's got to be on sitting on your shoulder brother i'll tell you (laughs) well i was uh i was uh adjunct faculty at mcpherson college oh are you great guys you may know is the only school in the country that offers a degree program in antique auto restoration so after uh, teaching classes out there one January, I, I get a phone call about a month later from one of the students, and he says, George, we just dropped the nut for the transmission band down in the, the, into the transmission. Uh, is it important that we get it out? And I went, oh, yeah, and I explained the catastrophe that was awaiting them if they didn't. And they said, well, what's the easiest way to get it out? I says, well, the easiest way is to take the cover off the transmission pick up the car, turn it upside down, and shake it. <laughs> and they did. And, and, they, <laughs> and they began to realize the severity of the problem. So I said, okay, now here's what you do. And I, I gave him my remedy for that problem of draining the crankcase and then pouring in a gallon of uh, kerosene to flush everything down to the teacup and then hook it and then attach another wire and bring it out up up the right side of the transmission. Sure, so I, yeah. They did get it. Yeah, yeah. That, those things happen. That's why they all. Everybody tells you to tie the the band wrench around your arm with a rubber band or a coat hang. I mean, all these things to, to yeah. Not stuff have it full time. of stuff it full of rags. Yeah, and then go out and buy some more rags and stuff them into. Yeah, all, all of all of that kind of stuff. Uh, yep. We have a lot of. I have a lot of Model T friends and and stuff that interest. As you are in a a restoration business, can can we? I just ask you some opinion questions about model t stuff that you that that you may what your thoughts are because it, 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 as you know i look at the forums every day both the 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 uh both of the the forums on of both clubs and and look at that and all you have to do is ask one question and you'll start a 700 page long thread and yeah well oil. Okay, there's, there's no yeah. short stories yeah yeah, uh, but things like, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on this, like the jackrabbit clutch that people, I, I, people will ask me, and I really don't know. Yeah, there's two different kinds of um, modernized uh, clutches, and uh, one uses, replaces the inner small discs in the clutch, and the other replaces the outer large discs in the clutch. Um, I like the Turbo 400. It is a very well-made uh replacement clutch hub the uh the discs on it are, are just fantastic think about it this 
they use the Turbo 400 in a Buick. They have five of these discs in there for a 300-horsepower engine, and the transmission doesn't slip. In the Model T, at 20 horsepower, we're using eight of those discs. So when you put the transmission in high gear, by God, it's in high gear. Yeah, it's locked. So that that's the one I prefer. You do, all right, so the the yeah, that, I get these questions from people, and I really just don't know don't don't know what to answer. What do you think of the Z head? Uh, I don't like increasing the compression on a Model T. The um, it's because of the Babbitt. Yeah. Uh, Henry, of course, made his own Babbitt, which he called heavy pressure metal. Uh, I was in metallurgy in a steel foundry, and I, I know that if you change the chemical composition of an alloy a little bit, you change the physical properties quite a bit. So we have our Babbitt made to exactly the same specific specifications that Henry Ford used, and we have it made of virgin materials, and it costs no more to the customer than it does if you buy a bar Babbitt out of one of the catalogs. So... The compression of the Model T is pushing the limit of poured Babbitt bearings. If you increase the compression, you can flatten them out. The uh, the Ford Babbitt, the Ford you know heavy pressure metal has a higher copper content, which makes it more resilient than uh, number two Babbitt or even nickel Babbitt. But uh, yes, so that's what we use. Uh, I don't like increasing the compression either by using the Z head. And I also don't like um, using the domed pistons. Uh, they are not made very well, and they will often seize because they're cam ground off center. Uh, the favorite, my favorite trick for increasing the power of a Model T is to use a Stipe 280 cam. I've got, I've got one in mine. I put them in everything. Yeah, you can't be. It's like driving a different car. It is. It's like adding a fifth cylinder. Is the way I describe it to my customers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I really do. But boy, you see so many of these guys with the Z head on their car and and, and well, I know uh, I restored an engine for Don Lang. He was going to drive the New York to Seattle trip. Yeah, and he had originally put a Z head on it, but he took it off before he left. Actually, so uh, yeah, that was that was a good engine. Uh, there were fifty two cars that started out on the tour, and uh, forty seven of them finished. Of the 47 cars that finished, there were only five cars that needed no mechanical servicing on the entire trip, and one of them was the engine that I had built for Don Lang. So I sprained my arm patting myself on the back after yeah. that. Yeah, Jim Cross, you might know Jim down in, in Virginia. He was one of the cars that made it without a hitch, too. Uh-huh. Mr. Cross, he's a, he's a, he's a real T driver. Rob goes all over the place, he and his, he and his wife. What about the... Uh, um, Rocky Mountain Brakes. What do you think of those things? I boy, that's one of those. The what place? The Rocky Mountain Brakes. Oh yeah, Rocky Mountain Brakes. They're actually a uh, you know a period invention. They had them back in the twenties. They are good. They they help you stop. That's for sure. Um, there's also some other improvements in the in the brakes. They not the original parking brake, the emergency brake for the Ford was was originally a cast iron shoe that pressed right. against a steel drum. Uh, well, now they make a cast iron shoe with a lining in it, and they work quite well. In fact, you can lock up the rear wheels, and when you're skidding the tires, you can't get any more stop than that. No. I think the Rocky Mountain brakes are, are a great thing to have if you live in the hills of, of uh, anywhere, 
and you do a lot of touring, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice insurance to have. One of the big advantages is that if you, uh, if you break a rear end part in a Model T, you don't have any brakes. But if you have the Rocky Mountains on there, you do. You still do, yeah. George, we're going to have to stop there, take our last break, and uh, we'll be back with Mr. George King, Jim, and Steve right after this. This is Michael Gannett with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Classic Car Show. Before we get back with uh, George King talking Model Ts, I want to invite everybody to go to our website, www.americaswebradio.com. Scroll down, and you'll see, click here to register. Uh, we're giving away 100 bucks. Uh, all you have to do is register. No strings attached. We're doing it for fun. We've got some sponsors that we're going to be uh, kicking it up a notch here before long. So uh, just keep checking back. And uh, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand next week. Who knows? We're uh, we're just going to have some fun doing this. And uh, all you have to do is just sign in and leave your email address so we can why contact you if you're a winner. Why but don't we give your Explorer for a grand prize? Nobody would take it. They would they would make me pay more than than that. <laughs> anyway, we're back with uh, George King, and he's talking about uh, George. You know, you need to uh, give us your e- uh, not your email address, but your two websites again. Oh, okay. the um, The website for the ambulance project is ambulance two five five dot org, and the website for my uh, business is uh, enginerestoration.com. Uh, let me ask, how, how far away uh, have you uh, What's the furthest restoration that you've done? Uh, anybody uh, from, like, California or the West Coast? or no, Cyprus. Well, that'll do. Well, yeah, yeah, that's I have moon, uh, I it? have engines throughout the United States and in uh, five countries in Europe. So is it basically word of mouth? Yep, it's all word of mouth. I've never advertised. We bill ourselves as being the fussiest bastards in the world, and a lot of people seem to like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, say, of say that again. Say it again? Yeah. <laughs> the fuzziest bastards? Fussiest bastards fussiest. in the world. Fussiest. He, said, fussiest. he thought you said fuzzy. Yeah. Now they put that in the newspaper here, so I guess it must be true. Yeah, oh, that's great. All right, a couple other quick questions, and then we can talk some more about some of your projects. Yep. Um, what about ignitions? Model T people, one of the other big points of discussion is True Fire, Magneto, Distributor. Yeah, you hear it all with these guys. What, you know. Okay. Uh, if you want to drive with a distributor, buy a Model A. 
<laughs> I love All it. Right? I love it. Thank you. Um, a Model T ignition system is what it is, and it is very reliable and very good uh, if everything is properly restored exactly, and you, yeah. you keep it up. Use the 6-volt battery. Use the coils. Uh, I prefer the ones built by uh, coil man Ron Patterson uh, out in Kentucky. He's an electrical engineer. Yes. He does a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, I like to run them stock. Now, one of the things we do that helps this happen is we're very fussy when we build our transmissions. We will set the magnet height. As you know, there's 16 magnets on the flywheel that produce the alternating current that powers the coils. We set the magnets within two thousandths of an inch of each other, and that allows us to put the magnets very close to the stator ring or the magneto ring. You're allowed between 10 to 25 thousandths and 50 thousandths, uh, 40 thousandths clearance. We set them at 28 thousandths. So when you switch from battery to mag, the engine speeds up considerably because it's putting up such, such, such a hot spark. Oh, yeah, that magneto ignition. Old, old I like to use the um, Anderson timers, the ANCO timers. They seem to work the best for me. In fact, for my 12, it has an aluminum uh, timer case, and the, and the 16 has a cast iron one. I, I sent each of those down to Anderson and said, here, put put uh, the ANCO innards in them, and uh, they, they work great. And All right, the last the last big question that we always is another monster can point of contention is uh, band material, Kevlar, Scandinavian, the you know the wooden ones, all of this stuff. Wooden ones are pretty amazing to me, and, and what's the most amazing thing is they actually seem to work. Uh, my band of choice is uh, the Kevlar bands that are made by Rocky Mountain out in Colorado. Yes. Uh, they have bonded ends, which I like. Uh, I if you use the Scandinavian, the original cotton bands, you're going to have the opportunity to change them once a year. You know, uh, For me, I prefer to avoid that. I put uh, Kevlar bands in my pickup truck. Oh, uh, let's see. Now it's 18 years ago, and I haven't changed them yet. Yeah, that's what I have in mind. But my, my buddy, the, when I got into the tea the first time years ago, Alan put the uh, old uh, cotton bands in on the, uh, uh, on the low because he said, you learn how to drive it, then we'll put the Kevlar band in on the low. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think they're super. Yeah, well, good. I, these are just questions, you know, that I get all the time. And, yep. and uh, those are probably some of the most common questions you get, too. Oh, sure. I was, uh, I was invited to speak on, uh, on engine restoration at the uh, Model T 100th anniversary party out in Richmond, Virginia. So uh, when I got out there, I knew that I'd have an audience where a lot of guys do their own engines or even have engine businesses. So the first slide that I put up on the screen was a picture of my son's cat. And I said, this is a cat. There's 101 ways to skin a cat. And then the next slide was a Model T engine. I said, and this is a Model T engine. There's 101 ways to restore a Model T engine. What I'm going to tell you is the way that I do it, and I'm not saying that is the only way it can be done. So I disarmed the uh, the critics in the audience right off the bat and had a had a very wonderful time. Yeah, that's good. That's a good that's a, a good way to do it because I've done some seminars and stuff, and you always get people that you know 
Uh, did you eat your grits down there? No. Oh. No, I don't. I don't. Blame, I can't say that I blame you there either. No, no matter how much maple syrup you put on them, they still taste like grits. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like the scrapple in Pennsylvania. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no matter what you do to it, it still tastes like scrapple. Yep. <laughs> and, and that's not going to win any culinary awards. Yeah. Well. If we have a, a minute, and I may, I'd like to talk a little bit about our adventure that's coming up this summer. Absolutely. We've got uh, we've got about six minutes, okay. five and a half. Uh, so what we're, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take the ambulance to, to France. Uh, Steve may know uh, John Biggs from England. He's the current president of the early Ford Club, which means pre-model tees. And uh, I call him St. John because uh, this guy has been so helpful to me. He's lending me a trailer and a car for the duration of the trip. So we're going to go to England, load up there, and then three of us are going across on the tr- on the train underwater to, to France in 35 minutes, and we'll be over there for our, our first uh, car show in uh, on, the, on the 15th of June, which is a race. It follows the race course from an 1899 race, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. In fact, I had to get a waiver to drive my ambulance in it because it's so modern being a 1916. And the, uh, the reason we're going to France is to, to tell this story of American volunteerism. Our, our mission with the ambulance is to talk about volunteers. We use it to encourage young people to volunteer in service to their communities and their country. And uh, the best way to tell that story is to build an ambulance and then take it around and show it. The original drivers were from the American Field Service, which is an organization that's still with us today. What they do these days is they have an exchange program for high school students that come and visit U.S. schools from all around the world, and we send U.S. students all over the world to experience a half a year abroad. So the American Field Service in Paris is paying the bill to ship the ambulance over that over there for what we're in. We're very grateful for that. And, of course, we had a uh, major fundraiser to get enough money to send me back and forth a few times and feed me and put gas in the car at 7.50 a gallon and things like that. So we'll be traveling all around France, 3,000 miles uh, over the course of the summer, and I'll be staying with host families, which is, is a lot of fun. And naturally, I've been taking French classes. So that's what I'm going to do with my summer. Pretty cool. I envy you very much. Now, is your wife going to be able to go and travel with you as well? My wife will be with me for two weeks. Uh, we are. Um, it's going to be near the beginning of the trip. We're going to visit some uh, some sites in France in France that uh, where my ancestors came from, and uh, we just recently got an email from France that has invited my wife, my ambulance, and me to the residence of the U.S. ambassador for the Fourth uh, of July. So that should be fun too. I would absolutely think so. Uh, George, once again, your websites and... Um... The Ambulance website is www.ambulance255.org. Let me, let me stop you there. You are still taking donations, right? Yes, absolutely. We, uh, <laughs> in fact, we just got hit with another expense that we've, was ex- exceeds what we were thinking of. Uh, it appears that the tolls in France are very high, like... $225 to drive a car from Paris to Marseille. And, of course, hauling a trailer, you have to pay one and a half times. So we, 
we need to get together another nine hundred and thirty dollars to uh, just to, to pay the tolls while we're over there. Well, call Jerry. He'll just he'll just hand it to yeah, you. Yeah, I, I did. Pocket money. I, I, I sent him an opportunity to, to contribute. <laughs> Is there anything else that uh, we need to touch on before we uh, close out the show? No, I just wanted to uh, you know give some recognition to all the people that have um, helped us put this program together. We had. 20 volunteers that helped in building the ambulance and um, 56 donors to our, our fundraiser to get to France thus far. So we certainly look for more, and you can get that information on uh, ambulance255.org. And, and your other charity is your engine restoration <laughs> business? Yeah, it certainly is. We just did our taxes, and it, it looked like a charity. <laughs> and and, people, can, uh, and send, uh, people can send their engines where? Uh, well, go to the website at uh, enginerestoration.com, uh, and uh, that'll tell you all about us. It, it talks about our restoration philosophy and talks about the uh, the different kinds of restoration, whether it's for a museum or whether it's for you know somebody's going to drive it. And it, it's uh, there's some fun information on there. Well, George. Uh Steve, you got anything else? No, no, I'm just envious. I, I probably have met you somewhere along the way at stuff. Oh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yeah, somewhere along the way. It was a pleasure talking to you, and it sounds like you have a great adventure. If you have room in the back, I'm available. It is, uh, <laughs> we're really looking forward to it, and it, it's getting pretty close to start time now. We hope to ship the ambulance out this week, so things are really cooking George, once again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Four Seasons Model T Association, we appreciate appreciate them getting us in touch with you. And anything that we can do to help, or please keep us posted on on your adventure in France. Please follow us on the website, and there will also be a Facebook link uh, from that site. All righty. We'll be back next week with more on the Classic Car Show. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Stay tuned for Food and Farm coming your way right after this. Hi, this is Kate Copsey inviting you to listen year-round to America's Homegrown Veggie Show every Saturday at 10 a.m. Hi, I'm Ray Bowman, hoping you'll join us each Friday at noon for our new show, Food and Farm, brought to you by FeedStuffsFoodLink.com, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is Cheryl Linker, host of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening.